When you turn with me to the scriptures, please, to Luke's Gospel, chapter 24. I don't know how far we'll get in this this evening, but we will not keep you long tonight because it is a warm night, it's a holiday, and even the turnout tonight I thought was going to be even less because there's so many gone in away for the, the Easter break, and you are here, so we I do appreciate you coming. Uh, Luke 24, verse 1. Now upon the first day of the week, very early in the morning, they came unto the sepulchre, bringing the spices which they had prepared and certain others with them. And they found the stone rolled away from the sepulchre. And they entered in and found not the body of the Lord Jesus. And it came to pass, as they were much perplexed thereabout, Behold, two women stood by, two men, pardon me, two men stood by them in shining garments. And as they were afraid and bowed down their faces to the earth, they said unto them, Why seek ye the living among the dead? He is not here, but is risen. Remember how he spake unto you when he was yet in Galilee, saying, The Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men. And be crucified on the third day, rise again. And they remembered his words, returned from the sepulchre and told all these things unto the eleven and to all the rest. Keep your Bible open there. We'll refer to that in a moment. Let's buy again the word of prayer. Father, take of your own word we ask you. Inscribe it on our hearts tonight printed in our minds. And Father, tonight may Christ alone be known, seen, exalted, and glorified. Lord, there's not one of us worthy of glory, but he alone. So Father, we pray that thy Holy Spirit, he would have free course in this meeting. And Lord, that you would speak to all of our hearts in whatever way you deem necessary, fit, and possible, Lord. Meet us at the point of our need and touch my clay lips and help me, Lord. Lord, to bring this word to your people, to those that will listen. In Jesus' name we ask it. Amen. The Lord Jesus' body is not in the tomb that morning when they go. And we're told that early that morning there are two men in shining garments. They asked them a question saying, why seek ye the living among the dead? The thing is there, first of all, these two angelic angels, these men in white, They knew the relationship these disciples had for they'd come to that tomb, to that garden with Christ. You're looking for Jesus, so we know who they're speaking about. The question is, why seek ye the living? Or as the Greek rendering has it, why seek ye the living one? Not only the one who gives life, but the one who gave his life and the one who now is resurrected unto life again. That means, why seek ye the living one among all the dead? And all the dead in the cemeteries of Jerusalem, there was one who had risen to die no more. 
And even these angelic messengers knew the disciples were coming to find the wonderful Christ. And they, they actually tell them, rehearse the words of Jesus to them in verse 6. He is not here, but is risen. Remember how that he spake unto you when he was yet in Galilee, saying the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified. But it doesn't finish there. It doesn't end there. And the third day, rise again. The resurrection of Christ, the Lord Jesus, the bodily resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. How important is it, church? To some uh, who claim to be Christian, to some they say that the body of Christ dissolved. There is no bodily resurrection. It dissolved. And so Christ is a spirit. There are others who think little of the resurrection, the bodily resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. They think that, well, he, he resurrected, but it means little to our, the foundation of our faith. And then there are those who think Christ didn't die in the first place. People like from the Islamic faith. There are others like the Jehovah's Witnesses who say Jesus' body dissolved. Then there are the modernist preachers who say his body need not be worried about it because the resurrection was spiritual. Brothers and sisters, we're going to look at this tonight and we're going to see that Christ did go to the grave, that he did die, he died, and that he did rise again on the third day bodily. We believe that here in CET. We believe it with all of our hearts. The word resurrection in Chambers Dictionary is defined as this, simply arising from the dead. Or it also means resuscitation. So there are those who think that Jesus swooned on the cross. He fainted. Or he was a trickster, able to conjure up some sort of fainting, almost dead-like state, and was taken down and said that he had resurrected because he wasn't dead in the first place. It was all done by trickery, by his disciples knowing better. And because, you see, this is the idea of, of, of some people, even in the Jewish background, thinking these things. And notice here, because it means, the word, resur- word resurrection means arising from the dead or resuscitation, we have to look at then, did Jesus die and rise again from the dead? Not just because I'm saying it, saying it to you. What were the witnesses saying in the Gospels? In the letters that Paul had written? What is the, the witness of this, of what Christ has done for us? And so in the case of the truth of the resurrection, the bodily resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ, the rising from the dead of the Lord Jesus, we must first have the truth, the truth of his death before we can come to the proof of his resurrection. In Matthew chapter 27 and verse 54, we have the centurion at the cross when Christ is bleeding in agony and dying. Matthew 27 verse 54 says, Now when the centurion and they that were with him. Notice, they that were with him. Centurions there and others were with him. Watching Jesus saw the earthquake and those things that were done. 
Notice this. They feared greatly, saying, Truly, this was the Son of God. When Christ gave up the ghost and died, the centurion and they that were with him, when they saw the things that were done, notice, they feared greatly, saying, so there was more than the centurion. We always talk about the centurion. There was more than the centurion. Truly, this was the Son of God. Notice, past tense. This was the Son of God, past tense, because he was dead. They spoke of him in a past tense that he was dead. In Luke chapter 23 and verse 47, the centurion was also said to say, Truly, this was a righteous man. Notice again, past tense, Jesus was a righteous, was a righteous man because he had died. The centurion had seen him die. And again, it is mentioned in Mark 15 and verse 39, this was the Son of God, speaking in past tense. In John chapter 19, verse 32, please, if you turn with me, John chapter 19, we'll start reading. From verse 32. Then came the soldiers and break the legs of the first. That's the first that were hanging and the other uh, with Christ, the two thieves. Break the legs of the first and of the other which was crucified with him. And when they came to Jesus, notice, and saw that he was dead already. They break not his legs, but one of the soldiers with a spear pierced his side, and forthwith came there out blood and water. Notice verse 35, and he that saw it by record, and his record is true, and he knoweth that he saith true, that ye might believe. Notice these soldiers came to enhance and quicken the death because it was in high day of Passover. Had to get Jesus' body out of the way and of the robbers. So they break the legs of the robbers. Go to the first one, break his legs. Go to the second one, break his legs. They come to Jesus and they didn't break his legs because he was dead already. Notice the soldiers. Notice he was dead already. So they didn't break his legs, fulfilling that a bone of him should not be broken, as the prophecy had said. But nevertheless... The prophecies that one man, the Lord Jesus Christ, had fulfilled on the, on the cross of Calvary, has, a statistician has put them together and worked out what it would take for one man to be able to fulfill just those on the cross. And here's the best he could come up with. The state of Texas. I don't know if you've been to Texas, but it's massive. It is a massive. You just drive for hours and you can see nothing at times. It's massive. And if you took a, a dime, suppose we'd call it a five or ten piece, eh? And you filled the whole surface of the whole state of Texas, the whole state of Texas, with, say, ten pence pieces, we would say, or a dime, and you filled it two foot deep. And you took one and marked one of them, and you threw it somewhere into the middle of all of these coins in the state of Texas. And you took them on and you blindfolded them into the middle of Texas and spun him around and says, find the coin. What chance would he have? Brother, and you and I can hardly find our car when we come out of the supermarket or in the shops. Well, if you're like me, you can't. 
You can't find your shirt. Isn't that right, ladies? You can't find your socks. <laughs> what chance would we have? Blindfolded in Texas, two foot deep, one little mark on one of the coins. And that's what the statistician worked out were the chances of one man fulfilling all, all of the prophecies of the cross alone. Yet Christ done them all to the T. He done it all to the T. Notice, they saw when they came in verse 33 to Jesus and saw that he was dead already, they break not his legs. Now here's something for you to notice. This is very, very important. These Roman soldiers were men of war. Highly trained men of war. Trained in the strictest of manners and ways. In fact, if one soldier in war of a Roman, of a Roman guard even was to either fall asleep on duty or was to be cowardly and not enter into the fight. Later on, they brought their own soldiers around, especially even falling asleep on duty. That's why the soldiers were terrified when the stone was rolled away. The other soldiers were to slay him on the spot. They would slay him. That's how highly trained they were. That's how fearsome they were. And that's how fearful they were. And these soldiers were going to make sure that these men were dead. And when they came to break the legs of the Lord Jesus Christ, they found that he was dead already. And they break not his legs. Men with little or no conscience when it came to killing. And if Jesus had just swooned, if Jesus had just fainted or passed out, these soldiers were in any way unsure of his death. And anything happened that he only had swooned and they were in trouble. Big trouble. So what do they do just to be sure? Just in case there's a a failure of a soldier to carry out a centurion's orders and he was to die. What do they do? Well, we're told in John's Gospel, chapter 19, verse 34. But one of the soldiers with a spear pierced his side and forthwith there came out blood and water. Here's what they did. They were making sure he was dead. They were making sure that Jesus was dead. But when they came to Jesus, they saw that he was dead already. See the word here for dead? It's the word thnesco. means to die, to be dead. Simple, isn't it? It means you're in a state of dying right into death. Let me give you another little rendering of this. For example, Luke chapter 8 and verse 49. We have Jairus' daughter who had died, remember? And the professional mourners were in the house and when the professional mourners were in the house Jesus comes and kicks all the professional mourners out he says hey little lamb or little maid arise and he takes her by the hand and the young girl she rises from the dead well the word here meaning that she was dead is the word thnesco for Jesus was dead exact same word and it comes from a root word which means one belonging to death One belonging to death. One partaking in the nature of death. This little girl belonged to death. She was dead. She was partaking of the whole nature of what death was. It's the same word that's used for the Lord Jesus on the cross. Luke 8 and 49. Thy daughter is dead. Trouble not the master. She was told. Remember Lazarus in John 11? We're told that Lazarus was dead. 
You read verses 39, 41 and 44 speaks of him that was dead. It's the same word, one who belonged to the dead, who was taken by death, one who was brought into death, one who had tasted death. I don't want it to cause and stir any hurting feelings. But when you're looking at a loved one who's passed away, there's nothing more you want than for them to open their eyes. Get out of that bed they've died in or that coffin that they're in. They're dead. And you see, the Christian hope of the resurrection, if Christ be not raised from the dead, then we have no hope. You know what the hope is for you? You have lost all your loved ones. For me, it's that he did rise from the dead. He tasted of death. He was owned, as it were. He gave himself over to be owned by death. And he rose again on the third day, victorious, conquering death. We're going to see them again who have died in Christ. We will be with them again. Notice this in John 19 and verse 30. tells us that the Savior cried, It is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up the ghost. Verse 33, the soldiers saw that he was dead already that he belonged to death. Verse 34, the efficient soldier makes sure by putting the spear into his side. Now listen, I've copied this down from a man called Dr. John Lyle Cameron. John, Dr. John Lyle Cameron. And he has written this in 1947. It's to do with the spear and the damage the spear would cause as the Roman soldier would put it up and under the ribs and through the body of Christ. Let me quote him. The Roman soldier would be well trained, proficient, and would know his duty. He would know which part of the body to pierce in order that he might obtain a speedily fatal result or ensure that the victim was undeniably dead. He would thrust through the left side of the chest a little below the center. Here he would penetrate the heart and the great blood vessels at their origin. And also the lung on the side. The soldier standing below, our crucified Lord, as he hung on the cross, would thrust upwards under his left ribs. The broad, clean-cutting, two-edged spearhead would enter the left side of the upper abdomen, would openly, would open the greatly distended stomach, would pierce the diaphragm, would cut wide open the heart and the great blood vessels, arteries and veins, now fully distended with blood, and would lacerate the lung. The wound would be large enough to permit the open hand to be thrust into it. Blood from the greatly engorged veins, pulmonary vessels, and dilated right side of the heart, together with water from the acutely dilated stomach, would flow forth in abundance. The whole event is the, the whole event as described by St. John must indeed have happened, for no writer could have presented in such a coherent detail so recognizable an event unless he or someone had actually witnessed its occurrence. It wasn't just in the side and out again. It have went right through up through stomach, 
lung and everything and turned it up right through the rib cage and up and into him. Our blessed Savior. In John chapter 19 and verse 35, John writes in, he, saw, he that saw it bear record and his record is true and he knoweth that he saith true that ye might believe. Brothers and sisters, Jesus died. We say it so glibly, flippantly. We wash over it. Yeah, he died. Jesus died. The precious, beautiful, sinless, spotless, loving Son of God gave up his golden fleece for you. Jesus died. In John chapter 19 and verse 38, notice what it says. After this, Joseph of Arimathea, being a a disciple of Jesus, but secretly for fear of the Jews, besought Pilate that he might take away the body of Jesus. Notice the body of Jesus. And And Pilate gave him leave, and he came therefore and took the body of Jesus. Verse 40. Verse 40. 19 and verse 40. Then took they the body of Jesus and wound it and then enclosed with the spices as a manner of the Jews is to bury. And then in John chapter 20 and verse 12, it says these words. This is Mary saith two angels in, in white sitting, the one at the head and the other at the feet where the body of Jesus had lain. Jesus died. Here's the body, the vehicle of Jesus the deity of Christ. The man died. Notice here, the word here for body is the word soma, and it means the physical nature of Jesus died. You see, he's not only man, but he's God. And the physical nature of Jesus died. In Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 9, it says, But we see Jesus, who was made a little lower than the angels, for the suffering of death crowned with glory and honor. Notice that he, by the grace of God, should taste death for every man. In other words, here, it means he suffered and he died. He became dead. That's the idea of it. He experienced it for himself. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 3 and 4, the apostle Paul writes, Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures. And that he was buried and that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. Now Paul takes us from the grave and he takes us to the resurrection. Just like they go to the grave for the body and the body is no longer there. Like Mary is told that he's not there. Like the disciples are told, why seek ye the living among the dead? Notice this. In 1 Corinthians 15 and verse 55, it says, O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. Verse 57, but thanks be to God, which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Because he lives, we shall live also. 
Living, he loved me. Dying, he saved me. Buried, he carried my sins far away. Rising, he justified freely forever. And one day he's coming. <laughs> oh, glorious day. Christ will return. So to establish the power, the proof, and the persuasion of the resurrection, we must have, first of all, authenticated the death of our blessed Lord. Notice, here's a case of the resurrection. Dr. Greenleaf, royal professor of law at Harvard University, was one of the greatest legal minds that ever lived. He believed the resurrection of Jesus Christ was a hoax. He believed it was a hoax. And he determined once and for all to expose the myth of the resurrection of Jesus. But after thoroughly examining the evidence of the resurrection, Dr. Greenfield came to the exact opposite conclusion. And so Dr. Greenfield set himself to write a book. And he entitled it. It's a big long title. You ready? An examination of the testimony of the four evangelists by the rules of evidence administered in the courts of justice. This man was in the courts of justice and he had uh, cases that were uh, set down particularly. He had to find the evidence against or for that case. And so he decided to do it about the the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. So Dr. Simon Greenleaf in page 29 of his book, well, not mention the big title again. He also concluded that according to the jurisdiction of legal evidence, the resurrection of Jesus Christ was the best supported event in all of history. Dr. Greenleaf was so convinced by the overwhelming evidence, he committed his life to the Lord Jesus Christ. The truth of the bodily resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ is life-changing. The man and the woman who say they are Christ's and don't believe in the bodily resurrection of Christ are not Christ's. It's foundational to the faith in Christ. This truth brings great transformation as the hope of every blood-washed, redeemed believer. The case of the resurrection starts with a look at 11 disciples. Think of this now. If you can grasp this, why would, they, why would they do what they did when Christ had died and risen again? And if he had not, would they have done it? For example, 11 dejected disciples, the one they followed, the one they trusted in, the one they hoped in, died in, a, in an amazing death and an amazing agony. He was mocked and scorned and ridiculed and he gave his life on the cross. He laughed at. He was a, he was a curse. Galatians three thirteen taken it from the law of God. Cursed is everyone that hangeth on the tree. And this Jesus you believe in, this is your savior. This Jesus you believe in, this is him who hung on a tree. This accursed one who's now taken down and put in a tomb. He died a curse. He died as a criminal. He died in an open shame and disgrace. In the eyes of the world, he died a total 
total disgrace. Eleven defeated, dejected disciples. Even in the garden, when they seen him be arrested, in Matthew, Mark 14 and 50 says, and they all forsook him and fled. Peter denies him. The cock crows three times. Later, these defeated, dejected disciples, despised men, they entered Jerusalem, listen, boldly preaching. Boldly preaching. They're running, they're hiding, now they're in boldly preaching. Boldly preaching at the threat of death of their own lives, a new message. What did they preach? They preached Jesus is alive. The one you crucified is alive. In Acts chapter 4, pardon me, 2 and verse 22. Let's go to it if you would please for a moment. Acts chapter 2 and verse 22. Peter on the day of Pentecost, the pouring of the Spirit, he says, Ye men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man approved of God among you by miracles and wonders and signs which God did by him in the midst of you, as ye yourselves also know. Him being delivered by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God, have ye taken and by wicked hands have crucified and slain. Here's the one they trusted in. The disciples trusted in. He's now slain. Now if he either was a trickster and just took himself off, or if he had died and didn't rise again, What have they to shout about? They have nothing to glory in. Verse 24, whom God hath raised up, Peter says. He was slain, but God hath raised him from the dead, Peter says. Whom God hath raised up, having loosed the pains of death, because it was not possible that he should be holden off it. What caused these disciples to go to do so much, so such things, they saw the resurrected Christ. They saw the Lord Jesus Christ raised from the dead. Would they give their lives? Would they go out and do these things? Would they put themselves in danger even if he was still lying in a tomb in Jerusalem? Would they do it if they knew he was a fraud, a charlatan and a trickster that he swooned on the cross, pretended to get up and then walk away as though he had risen from the dead and he was a liar? The idea was they knew he was dead and they laid him in a tomb. For three days they waited until he was raised again from the dead. And they saw him. And he spoke with them. Notice. In Acts chapter 4 and verse 20. The disciples being arrested says. We cannot but speak of the things which we have seen. And heard. Now, if they had only seen the miracles and Jesus was still dead, or if they had seen the miracles and thought Jesus was a charlatan and he had pretended to be dead and swooned, if they had seen that or thought that or known that, why would they say, we, we cannot but speak of the things that we have seen? 
Because what I would say is, I saw a liar. And he's not worth my life. He's not worth me going and preaching him. He's not worth the shame. He's not who he said he was. But rather, they saw him dead, buried, and raised again. And he spoke with them and filled them with his Holy Spirit. And they come saying, well, I want to tell you what we've seen. We have seen the Lord. He's alive, brothers and sisters. He's alive. And what we have heard, he's coming again. He's coming again. Stay with me for a few more minutes and I'll close this. Will you turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, please? First Corinthians chapter 15. We'll just skip across some of this. Will you let your eye run down? Verse 5. And that he was seen of Cephas or Peter and then of the twelve. Notice. He was seen of Peter then of the twelve. After that he was seen of above 500 brethren at once. (laughs) This resurrected Jesus was seen of over 500 people at one meeting. Of whom the greater part remain unto this present But some are fallen asleep or some have died. After that, he was seen of James. Who's James? That was his half-brother. That was his younger brother, James, because Jesus was born of a virgin. James, his younger brother, didn't believe. Wouldn't believe in him. I know him. You know what it's like at home because you're a Christian to say, well, I know you. It's harder to witness at home. I know you. My family knew where I was and what I was brought from, where I was saved from. And when I was first saved, they were going, great. Well, they thought I was up to something, to be honest. They thought I was trying to get away from trouble. But even as years went on, you still find it hard because they remember the old you. And James was going, but I know something special about my brother, but I can tell you one thing. He's not God. And, and he's not Messiah. And he's not the Lamb. But see, after the resurrection, he showed himself to James. He says, what do you think now, James? And James went preaching his own brother. He believed. His half-brother. And last of all, he was seen of me, says Paul, as one born out of due time. Will you let your eye run on down chapter 15? Verse 12. Now if Christ be preached that he rose from the dead, how I say some among you there is no resurrection of the dead. It's even in Paul's day. And if there be no resurrection of the dead, then is Christ not risen? And if Christ be not risen, then is our preaching in vain, and your faith is also vain. Yea, and we are found false witnesses of God because we have testified of God that he raised up Christ, whom he raised not up, if so be that the dead rise not. Notice, for if the dead rise not, then is not Christ raised. And if Christ be not raised, your faith is in vain, and ye are yet in your sins. 
If you don't believe that Jesus has risen from the dead, you're still in your sin. If Jesus hasn't risen from the dead, he said, we have no hope. See, if Jesus isn't risen from the dead, friends, I'm telling you this, if he hasn't risen from the dead, you might as well go out and enjoy the world and live in the way you want and die and go to hell. Christ has risen from the dead. He took our sins and bore it on his own body on the tree. He went to the grave to carry it away from us. From as far as the east is from the west, so far hath he removed our transgressions from us. And he rose again to declare us righteous in him, justified. Just as if we had never sinned. Verse 18 then they also which are fallen asleep or died in Christ are perished. If Christ hasn't risen from the dead, our loved ones who died even believing in Christ have died and have just perished. If in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men most miserable. Like, what, what is this? We just have a, a nice feeling about this. Is this salvation we, we, we say we have? Is it just a nice feeling? Is it just a nice way of life? Is it just a, a good life, a good living for a living as people think that are unsaved? You're good living for a living? Is it because it's, it's, it's a nice way or we get a fuzzy feeling? Or, or what is it? What is it? Tell you what it is, it's a living Christ living in us. Pointing us to the glorious hope of the blessed resurrection of Christ. But now is Christ risen from the dead. I want you to read that loud, will you? But now is Christ risen from the dead. That's said again. But now... Is Christ risen from the dead? Say it again, come on. But now, is Christ risen from the dead? Jesus is alive. And become the first fruits of them that slept. For since by man came death, by man also came, by man came also the resurrection of the dead. So did Jesus die? Yes, he did. Did Jesus rise again the third day? Absolutely. Yes, he did. Yes, he did. I'm going to close this because I've got enough here to do. It's about four months. And if I don't, we'll be, I told on that, keep you late tonight because I appreciate you coming. I finish with this. Romans chapter 4 and verse 25 speaks of the Savior who was delivered for our offences and was raised again for our justification. Let me look at this for just one minute. Who was delivered? Look at that here. He was delivered. He was given over. By the Jews? Well, yeah. By the Romans? Well, yeah. He was given by his father. Please the Lord to bruise him. Wicked hands took him. The father offered him over. 
who was delivered. Why? For our offenses. For your offenses. And was raised again. Why? For our justification. Because we're in Christ and he rose again. Here's what it says. The Father declares you not guilty. Not guilty. You're not guilty. In this closing part, let me say this. The resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ, how important is it? It's vital. The bodily resurrection. When he enters into that room with with the disciples there, and and then Thomas, they tell Thomas, and Thomas is there saying, I won't believe till I thrust my hand in his side and see the nail prints in his hands and so on. And the Lord comes and he says, Handle me and see, for a spirit hath not flesh and bone. As you see me have, I'm not a spirit. Flesh and bone. As you see me have. The vital resurrection of Christ is this. Think of it like this. When Jesus cried, it is finished on the cross. The Father cried, Amen, by the resurrection of his Son. The resurrection of Jesus is the Father's amen to the sons that is finished. Father, I've come to do thy will. I've finished the work you gave me. It is finished. And he dies. Gives over his spirit. And his body's taken down and put into the tomb. The roll of stone and the put a seal and a guard to watch over it. And that which he said on the cross, the Father says three days later, Amen, son. And it's enough to roll away a stone, to break a seal, to move the guards and raise them from the dead and bring them out into life again. Isn't it marvellous? May God bless his word to us tonight. May you go out of here realising he's done it for me. He's done it for me. God bless you all. Tell me to come up. We're going to sing.